Hi, everybody. It's Jeannie Faulkner, and you are listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, the book, which is a Penguin Random House publication, came out in June of 2015, and it's available everywhere that books are sold. Um, I wrote that book because I have a lot of inside information based on so many years working as a labor and delivery nurse, uh, as a mother, and as a woman who has worked for a long time in maternal health advocacy. Um, And I wrote it as your guidebook for navigating a healthy pregnancy for mom and baby. Now, a lot of the books that are on shelves today are going to give you probably similar information. Um, But what they're going to do is they're going to focus mostly on the health and well-being of the baby. And you're going to notice um, that when you're reading information about maternal health or pregnancy or prenatal care or, you know, the, the whole goal is to have a healthy baby. Well, in my book, I say having a healthy mom is just as important. And some of the things that go on during labor and delivery, routine labor and delivery care in a hospital setting, um, they aren't necessarily designed with mom's well-being in mind. So that's why I wrote the book. I want you to know, you know, all the inside information you need to make your very best healthcare decisions um, during a time of great vulnerability so that you and your baby can come through pregnancy prenatal care, labor, and delivery, just as healthy and well and happy as possible. Um, I have a, a an acquaintance who had her baby a few weeks ago, and uh, it was her second baby, perfectly healthy woman, no problems with the pregnancy, and the day after her due date, her water broke, big gush, and... Um, she didn't have any contractions, so she waited just a little while and then called up her the maternity unit at the hospital she was delivering at and told them. And they said, oh, you need to get right in here. And she said, well, there's nothing going on. Baby's moving fine. Um, I don't really want to come in quite yet. And my friend was waiting for her parents to get to her house to watch her younger daughter. So she wasn't in any big hurry. She knew the baby wasn't coming immediately. So they said, great, great, call us back in an hour or so. And uh, she did. She called them back and they said, you know, we'd really feel better if you came to the hospital. At that point, she had her daycare lined up and her husband was ready to take her. And it was at night and she thought, well, what the heck? I'll go to the hospital for some monitoring and, uh, you know, just make sure everything's okay. Get a good night's sleep and wait for labor to happen. So that's what she did. She and her husband went on over to the hospital, and as soon as she got there, they said, well, your water's been broken for a couple of hours now, so we're going to start some pit right now, and we're going to get this baby out of there. And my friend said, wait, 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 wait. The baby's fine. I'm fine. I want things to proceed on their own. Um, Let's wait till morning and see what happens. And they said, well, you're taking risks, aren't you? Well, my friend is a pretty astute woman, and she said, no, actually, I'm not. Standards of care really don't indicate that I need to rush into Pitocin um, as long as my baby is fine. I don't have a fever. Nothing's going on here. We don't need to intervene. They said, fine, be that way. 
Well, I don't think they actually said be that way, but that was the attitude that she picked up. So she um, stuck to her guns and she actually got a fairly decent night's sleep. The next day, her, uh, her doctor came in and he put the pressure on her again. And he said, you know, we really need to get the show on the road. We're going to just do low dose Pitocin and um, see how it goes. And she said, okay, fine. But if I'm going to get Pitocin, I know how that feels. I want an epidural too. And they said, okay. So they um, started the Pitocin. And at the same time, they started getting her ready for an epidural. When the anesthetist came in, he was just being a grump. He was being kind of rude and abrupt and uh, bossing her around. And my friend is a grown-ass woman. She's not interested in being bossed around by men she doesn't know, especially when courtesy and gentle instruction will work even better. So um, she put up with it, though, and she got her epidural. And then about an hour later, the contractions really, really dialed up. And she realized this epidural isn't working one little bit. Uh, And she asked the the anesthetist to come back in and, uh, you know, either give her more medication through the epidural tube or, or do something because she was miserable. And at that point, she was already six or seven centimeters dilated and things were going pretty quickly. And the anesthetist downright said, no, this is what you're going to get. Her nurse, her labor nurse, um, kind of gave my friend's hand a little squeeze to indicate I got your back. When the anesthetist left, she said to my friend, you know what I think we should do here is I think we should take out the epidural and we should give you some nitrous oxide. It's not going to take the pain away, but you're going quickly and it's going to mean that you don't care so much. And that's exactly what they did. My friend skated through another hour of labor with nitrous oxide on board, pushed the baby out in three pushes and delivered a perfectly healthy big, big baby boy. Um, Later on, the anesthetist came back in to ask how everything had gone. And when she uh, verbalized her complaints about the care, he was very dismissive, rude again. And basically, there was no satisfaction in that conversation. Um, She mentioned the pressure and feeling bullied into having interventions she didn't want um, and the rudeness she received by some of the medical staff on the maternity ward with her own physician, who um, really didn't have a whole lot of sympathy for her either. Anyways, everything turned out fine. She ended up having a perfectly healthy baby. And the thing that she said to me is, you know, they said to me a few times, like when I decided I didn't want to start Pitocin at night, Um, and when I wanted to have my epidural redone, they said to me, well, you know, all that's really important is you want a healthy baby, right? You don't want to take any risks or do anything that, that could harm your baby, right? Well, duh, no mother does. But my friend was part of that patient interaction too. Her well-being, her pain level, her security, her feelings, of being respected and well cared for are just as important. Mom is a person here too. So 
I don't know. I was disappointed by this conversation because this kind of stuff happens so often. And all I can really say about it is, please demand respect. Please educate yourself the way my friend had and know what is and is not necessary in terms of medical interventions. And then, you know, I'm hoping that the tide is going to change all over the world, that one of the most important parts of labor and childbirth are how the mother comes out of it. Anyways, that's that. I just wanted to share that with you and hope that that situation doesn't happen to you guys. Um, been getting a lot of letters this week, and it seems like everybody kind of has labor pain on their minds. I've been getting a lot of questions about um, what do contractions feel like, back labor, the best ways to get through labor, unmedicated labors, medicated labors, all kinds of letters over the last week or two. So I picked a few and I'm going to read them. And then I want to read a few sections from the book. Um, and of course, what I really want is for you guys to just go on over to the bookstore or go on over to barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com or target.com and order the book because probably most of your questions will be answered in there. Okay, so Annette writes, I'm pregnant for the first time and I'm an athlete. Oh, go you, Annette. I'm in great shape and I know a little bit about the pain you go through during training, running, and weightlifting. And I wonder if contraction pain feels anything like that. Ah, well, that's a good question, Annette. Um, no, it doesn't feel exactly like that. Um, the uterus is a muscle. So there is that component of muscular pain. But unlike the muscles in our arms and legs, which you know can get sore with sports or workouts, um, uterine pain feels different. Um, I, some people say it feels like, you know, menstrual cramps with some extra added intestinal cramps tossed in. I think that what I want to do is I want to read, um, I want to read from the book, Common Sense Pregnancy, uh, a little bit from chapter 10. There's a section, uh, chapter 10 is titled Labor Pains, and this section is titled How Bad Is Labor Anyway? I know there are women who consider labor a pleasurable, powerful experience. Some even describe it as orgasmic. Some women say contractions aren't painful, painful at all, but merely intense. I've actually witnessed labors like these a time or two. I've also been at the bedside for thousands and thousands of other labors, ones not described as pleasurable, merely intense, or the least bit orgasmic. They're described with less favorable words, ranging from bad to an effing nightmare. I'm sorry, I wish I could say it ain't so, but for the vast majority of women, labor is pretty darn painful, more painful than anything else. Using a pain scale from 1 to 10, 1 being virtually no pain and 10 being the worst pain imaginable, most women describe contractions during active labor as being an 11. The pain doesn't just live in the uterus, but often expands to the hips, backs, thighs, perineum, and intestines, and it is often accompanied by nausea and vomiting. It's a total body experience. When labor is really active, there's a minute or so of pain followed by a minute of rest, and this cycle goes on for hours, sometimes even days. It's messy, sweaty, bloody business, and I wouldn't be doing you any favors if I were to sugarcoat it and say it's not that hard. 
It's hard for women in the United States, hard for women in Africa, hard for women in Peru, hard for women all over the world. There, we've gotten the god-awful truth out of the way. Now let's talk about how to dial down the bad. Most of the bad revolves around pain. Here in the United States, women have three basic ways to manage pain. Go natural, which means no narcotics or epidural. They use hot baths, showers, compresses, deep relaxation techniques, and massage, which helps a lot. Two, they get some pain medication through an IV. This is a popular choice during labor for women who need some relief, but don't want to have an epidural. Most women say these drugs take the edge off and make pain more tolerable, but the effect doesn't generally last for more than an hour or two. Or three, get an epidural. About 65% of American women receive epidurals during labor, which consists of an injection of numbing medication into the space surrounding the spinal column. It takes the pain away completely in most cases, but also leaves women unable to walk or move around on their own until the epidural is discontinued and has worn off. It's the most popular method of labor pain relief in America. Epidural rates are higher at some hospitals than others based on varying patient populations, availability of anesthetists, and patient physician preferences. Okay, enough of that. Um, that's a good introduction to talk about epidurals and labor pains. And Annette, I hope that gives you an idea what contraction pain feels like. But honestly, honey, it's not something you can really describe with words and paint a full picture. Um, you kind of have to live it to know what it is. I'll be curious to know after you deliver your baby, though, you know, how does labor compare for you to training for an athletic event? Okay, here's another email question. This one's from Maria. And Maria says, I've decided to get an epidural because I tried to do natural the first with my first baby and it didn't work out. <laughs> I get it. This time, I'm going for what I know works. I'm worried, though, that maybe epidurals aren't so safe for me or baby. Are they? I heard they can slow down labor. Do they? Those are good questions, Maria. A lot of people ask those. Um, I'm going to answer it, too. But I want to read one more email, uh, email question, um, and then I'll kind of read a chunk from the book about this again. Amin says... All my sisters and friends had babies with no pain medicine. I'm going to try and do the same, but I'm worried that if I decide to use an epidural, they're going to say I was selfish or weak. What should I tell them? Oh, man. I mean, besides mind your own business. Oh, my goodness. I hope your sisters and friends are more supportive than that. Um so let's go on over to a later section of chapter, chapter 10. It's called Epidural FAQs, and I'm going to read a bit more. Okay, where are we starting? Okay, I put these questions, I answered these questions in the book because I get these emails so often. Um, number one, are epidurals safe? Epidurals are widely considered safe for moms and babies, but that doesn't mean they aren't without side effects and potential complications. In almost all cases, an epidural is inserted without any hitches. It works like a dream with no residual side effects and the patient loves it. 
Once in a while, as mentioned in Epidural 101, that's an earlier section, a patient may have to go through a couple of attempts before her anesthetist gets it placed in the right location. While any type of invasive procedure has a risk of complications like infection, the risk goes up a teensy bit if the procedure has to be done more than once. Most women who ask if it's safe have heard stories about someone who had an epidural and was left with permanent back pain, or maybe they heard it causes paralysis. While backache for a short period of time may result, paralysis doesn't. Usually when I hear about the epidural paralysis connection, it's said to have taken place in another country. I can't speak to the veracity of that situation except to say, if the person administering an epidural doesn't know what the heck he or she is doing, then paralysis is a possibility. Here in the United States, and in almost all places where epidurals are routinely administered, anesthetists are trained, certified, licensed, vetted, and highly skilled. Don't worry about it. It's pretty darn safe. Um, The next section of that book, I'm not going to read it to you today, but it's called What Kind of Side Effects Do Epidurals Have? And I run through, you know, a a list of them that I really want you to be aware of so that you know what's just par for the course and what could potentially be concerning. Um, Another question I get a lot, a lot, a lot is this one. Do epidurals slow down labor? Yes, they can slow down labor, but usually only for a little while. Whenever labor hormones, oxytocin, are diluted with lots of pre-epidural IV fluids, contractions can slow down or become less strong. That's why it's not uncommon for contractions to disappear for a while immediately after an epidural is started. They'll be back, but you may have a longer labor than you would have without one. An epidural also decreases your mobility. Women who walk, squat, rock, sit, lean, and move around during labor usually have a shorter labor than women with an epidural who are stuck in bed. A slow or stopped labor also happens sometimes when an epidural is put in before labor is really active. Sometimes women get an epidural too early when they aren't actually in real labor. They may be in early labor or prodromal labor, and it may hurt but their uterus, brain, and all the rest of it aren't fully committed to doing the job at hand. When labor stops altogether, sometimes it has to be charged back up with pitocin and or rupture of membranes. Getting an epidural before you're in active labor isn't ideal, but some women are in such great pain in early labor that they need an epidural early. Many doctors and midwives allow their patients to get an epidural at any point during labor because they know they can always give labor a jump with Pitocin. Okay, another question, and this is one that I didn't actually know until I went through labor myself for the first time 28 years ago. My, and the, the question in the book is, can epidurals speed up labor? Absolutely. I've seen it happen hundreds of times when a woman gets stuck at a certain dilation for hours. She's painful and miserable and can't catch a break between contractions. When when she finally gets an epidural and the pain is gone, she usually goes to sleep because she's exhausted, not because the epidural knocks her out. It doesn't. And becomes relaxed. Once mom is able to rest and relax, her muscles relax too, though her uterus keeps contracting. 
and her cervix is able to dilate. Pretty soon, she's fully dilated and ready to push. That's what happened to me with my first baby. I was determined to go natural, but after 25 hours of active labor, I got stuck at four centimeters for what seemed like days. I finally surrendered to an epidural. I took a two-hour nap and woke up 10 centimeters dilated. My baby was born an hour later. Sometimes an epidural is a freaking miracle worker. Um, let's do another couple questions. Do epidurals increase C-section rates? I get this question all the time. Studies indicate that epidurals can contribute to increased C-section rates and to increased need for forceps and vacuum extractors, probably because an epidural can reduce a woman's, a woman's ability to push effectively. Stories from lots of women and midwives also indicate that women spend, when women spend their labor lying down or in one position, it impacts the normal physiologic process of labor, which may lead to a C-section. I've also seen C-sections happen in response to the fairly common blood pressure drop that can cause baby's heart rate to plummet. While most of the time that's easily fixed with more IV fluid and a little ephedrine for mom, if the baby's heart rate doesn't respond quickly, nobody will hesitate to run to the OR. Okay, this now we're going to start getting into Amin's question, where um, she doesn't want her sisters and friends to judge her if she decides to go for an epidural. And here's the big question. Is it better to go natural than to have an epidural? Better for some, not better for others. It really depends on how labor is going, how the epidural affects you, and if, in the end, you were satisfied with how it all played out. There are some definite advantages to going natural in terms of being able to work with your body's natural physiology, stay mobile, and push well. There are some definite advantages to having an epidural too, namely, you don't feel horrible pain. For somewhere around 65% of American women, that's a great big thumbs up. Okay, am I a wimp if I wanted to go natural but caved in and got an epidural? Oh, hell no. You're right on par with a grand majority of women. Labor hurts a lot. If you're not into the word hurts, some birth philosophies aren't, then we'll say it like this. Labor is really intense, super intense. If it's way more intense than you could stand, nobody's judging you. Do what you have to do to get through labor. For some women, the difference between sticking to their natural goals and getting an epidural is the difference between having a horrible, violent, traumatic birth and one that's rather peaceful and lovely. Now, most natural births aren't horrible, violent, and traumatic. Most of them, when mom can handle the intensity, are peaceful and lovely, but not all of them. Some are downright horrid, and getting an epidural is a great and wonderful thing. Are you a wimp? No, honey, you're a woman. Use the tools you need to get the job done. Okay, I think that's enough with answering questions this week and reading from the book. And, you know, I think that's about it for this week, folks. I'm getting on a plane and heading to Atlanta tomorrow to do some work with my favorite humanitarian organization, CARE, founders of the CARE package during World War II, 
and the oldest, most solid, sustainable, and effective organization that I know of that's working to improve the lives of women and girls around the world. Hope you all have a good week and that um, you keep sending in your questions and comments. I, You can reach me at gene at genefaulkner.com. You can tweet me at Jean Faulkner. You can donate to keep this podcast running uh, on my website, genefaulkner.com. Uh, and subscribe, share, spread the news about common sense pregnancy and parenting smart conversations for pregnant women, expectant parents, people that are in the birth community, all of that. Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting is recorded in Portland, Oregon at Sounds Like Pictures Studios by Alex Ward. Um, Talk to y'all next week. Bye-bye.